You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. This is Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing the causes of xerostomia and how to diagnose salivary gland hypofunction, as well as how to conduct a salivary flow measurement exam. We will also review the differences between hyposalivation and xerostomia and the appropriate management considerations. Our guest is Dr. Lauren Levy, a dental oncologist and an orofacial pain-focused dentist based in New York City. She has extensive experience treating a variety of oral medicine conditions. She is an adjunct clinical assistant professor at NYU College of Dentistry in the Department of Oral Medicine and Orofacial Pain. She is also a clinical instructor and an attending doctor in dental oncology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Dr. Levy, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Pleasure to be here. So you did a great webinar not too long ago called The 411 on Cottonmouth, What is Xerostomia and How to Manage It? If you're looking to get a better understanding of xerostomia, I really do recommend that webinar. It was very well done and had a huge attendance. So to begin this podcast, let's start off with a simple question. What is xerostomia and why is it important for dentists to understand this condition? So first, I just want to talk about the, dip- the brief difference between xerostomia and hyposalivation. Xerostomia is the subject- subjective sensation of dry mouth. So if the patient comes to you and says, my mouth is dry, the medical term for that is xerostomia. Um, hyposalivation, by contrast, is a reduction in salivary flow. It's more of an objective measurement. Sometimes patients will not complain of xerostomia, but they still could have hyposalivation. Again, xerostomia is really just more of a subjective complaint. Okay, so that's good to know. And xerostomia, is that something that's pretty prevalent in the dental practice and something that the dental clinician should really be aware of? Or is that an outlier condition? No, it's it's pretty common. I mean, about 40% of uh, people complain of xerostomia. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the times dentists and healthcare professionals in general just kind of poo-poo it. And sometimes, yeah, no, I'm not saying everybody, but I think a lot of people just kind of forget about it and it's it can be extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, it seems to me, and when we were doing this podcast, I kind of tried to imagine what it would be like to have very low salivary flow. And it's got to be hugely uncomfortable. And it's always in your mind because it's it's something that never ends, right? I mean, I know there's some therapeutic ways to treat xerostomia to some extent, and we'll, we'll get into that later, but uh, it just seems like a condition that's really tough to manage, uh, even emotionally to some extent. Um, I'm sure you've found that with your, with your patients and the experience you have. Tell us about some benefits of salivary gland measurements. What's that all about? So, you know, a patient comes to you complaining of xerostomia and you can measure it it's knowing that xerostomia is is subjective. It's kind. It is nice to have an objective way of measuring uh, salivary flow and how much saliva someone has because they could say my mouth feels really dry, but then when you do these salivary gland measurements, you can actually see that they actually are producing enough saliva, but it's really the type of saliva that they're producing that's altered. Or you you can confirm and say, oh yes, actually you do have a low salivary flow and let's see how we can address that. But basically salivary gland measurements, you're looking at salivary flow from an active and a passive perspective. So what's their resting saliva, which I, I go over in the webinar, but basically if you've just had someone essentially come in and just spit, not even really spit, really just drool in a cup for five minutes, how much saliva would they produce? That's resting in, in a nutshell. And then um, active salivary measurement would really be, you can give them a piece of gum or a piece of paraffin wax or uh, a lozenge or something, and then have them 
spit out the saliva over that five minute period and you compare and you see the difference. And there, there obviously should be a, a significant difference. And then after you have the salivary, the saliva sample from the resting one, you can look and you can see, does it, is it more mucus-like? Is it more serous um, in terms of the viscosity? You can also look at the pH of it. You can look at buffering capacity. There's, there, there are a lot of things that you can do once you have the saliva to kind of help guide you in terms of figuring out why the patient actually has uh, hyposalivation. So who does this? I mean, does the general dentist routinely do this when they notice that the patient's mouth is really dry and then maybe the patient um, gives that information to the dentist on, on a medical history or a dental history? And what part of the treatment plan do you start doing these kinds of salivary gland measurements? It could be the general dentist. I mean, I do it routinely for many of my patients because a lot of my patients have a history of head and neck cancer and head and neck radiation therapy. So I know that their salivary measurements are going to be lower and I can kind of use it as an objective measurement to see whether or not, uh, you know, what type of interventions we should recommend for them for xerostomia and hyposalivation. I think that if the patient has a certain history, then yes, it's a good idea to do this. I also think if a patient's coming in with rampant decay, and, you know, you, as a general dentist, and you've tried so many things and you're like, oh, maybe this patient, you just, you're kind of up at wit's end. I think this can help. Like we've all had those patients that have, you know, more dry mouth and keep doing restorations, right? But no matter what you do, it keeps failing. And maybe you should be figuring out if they have Sjogren's, but this is also just an easy thing that you can do. An easy test in the office, non-invasive, quickly done, and it can kind of just help help you. And it also can help the patient. Like maybe they're just dehydrated and all you need to do is encourage them to drink more. Maybe they, you know, are a smoker and this is the way to encourage them to not smoke as much because that can cause a reduction in salivary flow. So I also think it can be just as much of a teaching tool for patients as it is, as it can be a diagnostic tool for clinicians. So what are some of the medical conditions that you see pretty routinely that are associated with hyposalivation? So there's a lot of medical conditions associated. Sjogren's is obviously a pretty well-known one. Um, a lot of autoimmune conditions such as uh, lupus or scleroderma, graft-versus-host disease, which is associated with stem cell transplants. Uh, you can also see it in patients that have rheumatoid arthritis. You can help see it in patients with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, Cushing's, lymphoma, Addison's disease, renal disease, amyloidosis, hypothyroidism. It also can obviously be seen if there is just a condition associated with the salivary gland. So let's say the patient has a salivary gland stone, right? Or, this, or if the salivary gland is just inflamed, then obviously that too can result in hyposalivation or xerostomia. So some of these conditions are chronic and some are more acute. Is, is that make sense? And, and it's good to know which yes. ones. Okay, good. So when you understand which ones are acute, obviously those are going to have a better chance of getting that condition treated and fixed possibly. Um, and then the chronic one is just kind of management, right? It's just, we're just, we know it's there. There's really not any way to get rid of it completely in most cases. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but we want to manage that chronic condition. Absolutely. Okay. What are some of the, um, consequences of xerostomia? Uh, so many things. I mean, the obvious one for dentists uh, are, is the increased risk for decay, right? Um, like I said, everybody kind of knows that when they were trying, when you're trying to do a restoration, uh, you want to do dentistry in a very dry environment, but afterwards you kind of want saliva to be there to help you help reduce the risk of getting caries. So with a reduction of salivary flow, 
there's a very high increased risk of caries. There's an increased risk of oral infection in general, specifically more fungal infections. Um, but just in general, by losing that protective effect of saliva, you are at an increased risk for infections, uh, difficulty swallowing, difficulty speaking, difficulty with taste. I mean, a lot of patients will have altered sense of taste just because you're, you don't have the saliva to wash away uh, food and debris off of those gustatory receptors the same way. I think those are really the main things, but you know, it, it, I think people often forget, unfortunately, just how important saliva is until, you know, until they have a patient that really doesn't have them. So suffers from does, salvation. Does the a dentist that's been practicing for five years or whatever um, or more, do you think they have the expertise to identify xerostomia and um, make the right decision as far as what to do next? And we and I do want to talk about the therapeutic ways we can treat xerostomia. And if you want to lead right into that, feel free to. I think so. I mean, I, I think, I guess it depends on the patient. Uh, obviously, in, in some situ situations, this can be better managed by a dental oncologist or uh, someone with an oral medicine background, but there are not that many dental oncologists and oral medicine um, providers or specialists really out there. So I think as long as dentists are educated and they know what they're looking for and they do look, then yes, I think they can. And in terms of management, it really depends on obviously finding the source. So if a patient is getting xerostomia because they're smoking, obviously encouraging them to stop smoking. If it's from alcohol use, encouraging them to reduce drinking alcohol. If it's because they're dehydrated, this is, you know, again, talking to them about hydration. Like behavioral modification is key. If it's medication related, because I mean, I didn't mention that because we were talking about medical conditions, but xerostomia can result from, there's so many medications that can result in hyposalivation or just a feeling of xerostomia obviously talking to their physician about possibly modifying a medication if that's if that's something that can happen. And then there are many salivary substitutes on the market and many uh, products on the market. Gum just or by Sunstar just made a new product on the market that looks like they have a whole line where they have an oral rinse, a spray, a gel, and a, a toothpaste that has fluoride in it. And the idea is that they have their mouth rinse that is similar to saliva. And then they also have a spray that you can use on the go if you're, because a lot of patients, you know, this is a, like we were saying, for chronic, for patients that have this as a chronic condition, it doesn't just go away. So it's nice to have a spray or something to take on the go that can kind of provide that relief throughout the day. And then they also have um, a cr essentially like a cream, but they, I think they call it a gel where you can just kind of apply it to your tongue at, at night because it's similar to, I mean, it's similar, but different at the same time to like dry skin where, you know, like it just feels like all cracked and uncomfortable in your mouth. So putting some sort of serum or gel can obviously make it feel better. And that's, that's the idea behind their oral gel. Yeah. And that's Sunstar. The company is Sunstar and the product line is gum, G-U-M. Yes. Feel free to Google that if you're looking for more information regarding those therapeutics, which um, Dr. Levy is, is recommending. So I think you've covered hyposalivation, xerostomia, some of the things that cause it, how to identify it, and some of the tests. Is there some point in time where the GP just feels like there's really not much more they can do and they do need to send it out? Would they initially look for a dental oncologist? Well, who would be the best person at the next step, an oral medicine specialist? I think so. I think either an oral medicine specialist or a dental oncologist should be able to handle this. The, the next step after over-the-counter products is there are medications that you can prescribe that are salivary stimulants, but they don't come without they don't come without their side effects. There's also and there are other there are other you know interventional things that you can do. 
but I do think at that point, it, it would be a good idea to either find a oral medicine specialist or a dental oncologist. If there isn't one in private practice, there should be one at a dental school or a hospital near you. And I think that's, that's where someone can go. When you talked about taking something systemically, what does that involve? What kind of drugs are we talking about that could help stimulate salivary flow? Pilocarpine is one, um, or Abogsac is another. Basically, they're parasympathetic agonists. And so they work, if you remember from back in like, you know, neuroscience or pharmacology, they activate the rest and digest part, the parasympathetic nervous system, as opposed to the sympathetic nervous system. They can cause salivation, as we said, but also lacrimation, urination, defecation. <laughs> so and that, and that obviously can cause, can be quite annoying and difficult side effect to deal with. I think that's been very helpful, Dr. Levy, and we appreciate your time. It made it clear to me that dentists should certainly be looking for this during their exams. And especially if they have, as you say, patients that just are so prone to decay and you're doing everything under the sun and you just can't figure out why these patients are continually coming in with more cavities and even periodontal disease, uh, you're just not getting the salivary activity, which really helps in reducing the bacteria, the dangerous bacteria in your mouth. Uh, we certainly want to thank our sponsors, Sunstar, great company. They have great products. You know them with that product line gum, a product line that's ideal for dry mouth. So feel free to look into that uh, on Sunstar's website. Thank you very much, Dr. Levy. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me.